Well, as you look, the book of Zechariah, 14 chapters. And so I appreciate, as the book was divided, we were given two weeks to spend the book of Zechariah. And as I was studying through this, the book divides very nicely between chapters 8 and chapter 9. In fact, a lot of scholars even believe the book was probably written in two sections. Zechariah probably probably wrote wrote the the first first one early on um, as the exiles returned from Babylon, came back to Jerusalem. And the second section may have been written quite a bit later in his prophetic career. I found that really interesting. The book is really different than the other minor prophets. The word apocalyptic has even been used. It's more has more in common with the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, where there's these strange visions. And it's like apocalypse is like the uncovering, the unveiling. And in this book, it's like God is giving Zechariah a glimpse into what is going on behind the scenes that he would not have seen otherwise. So I've entitled this from a verse in the book, How to Live in a Day of Small Things. It's chapter 4 and verse 10. That phrase just struck me, small things. And I thought about us sitting here and the people driving by on the street. And do you really think a whole lot of people give us here a whole lot of thought? You know, but I think God seems to work. God seems to work great movements out of small things. And I just really, as we watch the history of redemption and just God's working through the ages, the greatest works seem to start in small ways. And I think Zechariah is going to be a picture of that. And I hope that you can take some encouragement from what we go through together. So I want to begin just posing a question. And you just give me the little click there. Thanks, guys. I originally posed it, have things ever not turned out the way you thought or the way you wanted? And I thought maybe have is not the right question. Maybe the right question is more think about a time when, because we all know this is just life. And I just kind of brainstormed some things. I thought, you know, just projects you've worked on, vacations, Maybe a career or a job move that you thought would go one way and it went another. Maybe just family life. I, I thought things were going to be one way. I'm just like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Is anybody, can you appreciate what I'm saying? And as we go through Zechariah, I'm seeing some little smiles, some nods. In your mind, as we read this, if you could just put yourself in that frame of mind, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to go one way, and it was going to be fantastic. And then here I am. So, so what do you do? What do you do with that when things don't go the way you thought they are going to go? I want to set the scene here in the book of Zechariah. Um, the people of Israel were taken captive. They are taken to Babylon. Their city destroyed. The Persians came and took the Babylonians, and they were given permission to return to Jerusalem. Can you imagine a city having been more or less abandoned for 70 years? Okay. That's kind of the scene. They returned after 70 years of captivity. 
Imagine if someone was a child when they left Jerusalem and went to Babylon. Now they're in their 80s. Can you imagine? The temple at this point had been partially rebuilt, but as we saw last week, and I still, I really like that picture that James put up of a foundation just sitting, and I don't know where that foundation was, but it's probably somebody's dream working on their home. Uh, the temple in Jerusalem had been partially rebuilt. It's just sitting there. The Jews are still under Persian authority, and there's just kind of a sense of this disappointment and discouragement. You know, we thought things were going to go one way, and it turned out another. You know, I was reading in the book of Psalms where it talks about singing the songs of Zion. Like, all that time away, they thought, what, how great is it going to be when we get back to Jerusalem? You know, we're going to have our kingdom back. We're going to have our nation back. We're going to have our temple and our worship will be back in place. We'll be a nation again. And they get back and look around. And imagine they're just thinking to themselves, this is it. You know, the city's broken down. We don't have a temple to worship in. What do you do? And thinking about the book of Haggai, and I thought it so interesting, Haggai and Zechariah were prophesying roughly the same place at the same time, and it's quite likely they may have known each other. And Haggai's talking about the people just building up their own homes. Like, you know what? Let's just get on with life. Let's just forget this whole thing, and let's just move on. Well, I want you to remember this. Actually, I'll show you this first. I took this out of a book, and I just took a picture. I'll see if my pointer looks like my... Is the laser... No, it's not showing. There is a laser button. That's okay. If you can see on the chart here, there's a divided kingdom era. Here's the exile. And if you look way on the right... Haggai, Zechariah, they're after the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple. You can see Cyrus's edict when the Jews are allowed to return home. And I thought this is just so interesting to see how the prophets line up. You know, Isaiah's way back there in 700. You know, we could see where, you know, Nahum and Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Obadiah, and Zechariah's way at the tail end. And here's after the exile. So you can see where Zechariah and Haggai are there. And then Malachi is way at the end. And there's the restoration of Jerusalem. So sometime after the exile is ended and the beginning of the restoration. So as we're reading this and looking at the book of Zechariah, I want you to remember this. This is the book of Romans. These things that were written, whatever was written in former days, it was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So as we look back, this seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? And as I was thinking about this, the book of Zechariah, it was written about the year 520 B.C. So if you realize, from the point of Zechariah to the time of Jesus... And then from the time of biblical times till now, we are about four times farther out from Christ than Zechariah was. 
So that just kind of made my mind, we are a really long way out. And so talking about building, rebuilding a temple and restoring the city of Jerusalem, it may seem really distant. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with me? I want to say this. This was written for us. We are meant to understand this. And we should learn from this. The theme for this book, in chapter 1 and verse 3, the Lord tells Zechariah to tell the people, return to me, and I will return to you. The same thought we get from the book of James. James says this, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. In Jeremiah, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And as Zechariah gave this message, the point was not just to come back to Jerusalem because it's the physical location, the geography. The point is when things are not going the way you thought, we need to return back to our God. We need to go back to the beginning. It's not about the city and the geography. It's about the God who is associated with that place. And I think maybe today we think, when things are going tough, you know what? I've got to get back to church. Has anybody ever thought that? Like, I've got to get back to church. And church is a good place. Don't get me wrong. God's people are here. God's word is open here. But all these things, this is not the end goal just to be in this building, is it? The goal is to return, to look back to our God. Return to him. When you're in a day of discouragement or difficult things, turn back to God. That's, I think, what Zechariah is telling us, even today. I just made a note there. Don't despise. Don't overlook when things look small and insignificant. God takes notice of our faithfulness. So, I'm going to move on here to talk about the eight night visions. And I'm not going to break them down. Uh, if you want to, there are some fantastic sermons and expositors who can break them down one by one. But I think the big point is this. And I think this is very relevant to us today. So don't miss my point here. God is moving behind the scenes. As we look out in the world and we see things happening and moving, sometimes you just get discouraged. And you just think, where are we going? And can anybody appreciate in the last, I don't know, two or three years, as you have watched the events unfold, just in our own nation and around the world, and you just shake your head and think, where is this going? Like, what is going on? I've even heard people say, has God forsaken us? And I want to say, looking at Zechariah here, I've come to the conclusion that no, God is not, even when it looks like it, God is not forsaken. God is moving in a way we maybe don't see, as it were, behind the scenes, like in the spiritual realm. And the reality we see, we often think like this is the thing. You know, politics, the legal system, our culture, we think this is the thing that makes, makes things move. 
this is the end result. I would say no. Like what's happening in the spiritual realm is probably a more real thing than even what we see happening around us in the headlines. That is where God is at work. I'm going to consider just a few things. I have some verses. And if you can turn quick, I did not write them up here, so stick with me. In Luke, or sorry, in John 15, I just wrestled with this. Speaking to his disciples, the Lord says, I'll just read it, um, John 15, 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father... I have made known to you. I just thought what a privilege it was. Like I thought oftentimes, it seems like we don't really know what's happening. And in the book of Zechariah, did you guys read it this week? Did anybody get a sneak preview? So please nod your head. (laughs) I hope so. Take the time and read it ahead of time. And the angel who is walking Zechariah through these visions he would ask Zechariah, do you know what this is? And I love Zechariah's answer. No, I don't know. I don't get it. So there's a woman flying in a basket. Do you know what it is? No, that's weird. And do you ever feel that time like reading the Bible sometimes? Like, God, what is this? Don't you get it? No, it's weird. I don't know. I was just encouraged by this, that the things that we do need to know, though, the Lord's revealed them. He has called us friends more than just servants. And the things that he needs to reveal, he has revealed to us. Well-known passage, um, Ephesians chapter 6, talking about our spiritual warfare. He says, we do not wrestle, actually verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. I just point to that and say, look, the things that we battle against, it's not the physical world. It's the things happening in the spiritual realm. That is where the fight is taking place. Let's just look at 2 Corinthians, similar thought. So chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He says this, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, not the physical, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have designed divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The point being this, the things we fight, it's not the flesh. It's not the physical. It's the things that are moving in the spiritual world to affect our mind. This is where the battle is being fought. In Thessalonians, I'll just, um, I won't turn there, but Paul says he wants to go and he wants to see them. He says, but there's a, he says he was hindered by Satan. He wants to go. So there's things that even we want to do that are good things that God has purpose for us that seem like they're in line with Scripture, and yet there is a f- spiritual battle taking place. 
where Satan is trying to hinder us, to stop us. These are the things that we're fighting against. And then it's in Daniel in chapter 10. It's where it talks about the prince of Persia. You know that when Gabriel was going to come to Daniel's aid and the prince of Persia, meaning a demonic power, there's a spiritual battle taking place that we don't see. And yet these things are real. These things are taking place. And I would say as real and even more real than things that we think are the real issues. So I think the question is this. How do we... Um, how do we respond to this? How do we react to it? In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, on, what is unseen. Is that distracting? Okay, I'll carry on. Yes. Just use that mic. Stephen's going to come tech help me here. We'll see if it's better. I know it was just really distracting me. And I know if it distracts me, it must really distract you. So I'll carry on. But look at this. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. I just want to consider two things. There's two kingdoms, I believe, at warring here. It's like a way the world addresses these things. And then there's a way these things are addressed in the kingdom. And that's really where I want to spend some time. But consider this. Oftentimes in the world, things are moved by politics, by power, media, culture, just force. And I really feel like in the last couple of years, we have seen these things more prominently than we have in a long time. And I'm not going to say ever, but it's been a long time since we have seen these things so much in our face. And I think there's a temptation, even among the church, to be like, this is how we're going to move the needle for God. Like, we're going to jump into politics. We're going to change the world. And I'm not saying politics is a bad thing. But I'm going to say, I don't think that's how the needle moves, as it were, in the spiritual realm. I think if we, sometimes we feel like we could just take back our media, it would change things. We would really move things. If we could only fix our media, if we could only change our culture and like force people into this thing, I think the world thinks this way and the world moves this way. And sometimes I think even the church kind of falls into this line of thought because we're just so surrounded by this. But I want to suggest something different for us, church. And if you get nothing else today, I hope you get this. So if you're writing things down, this is a good place. In the kingdom, this, I think, is how we're going to fight our spiritual battle. I think, first off, just faithfulness in the church. As we're sitting here together, collectively in this body, 
other churches around the Yakima area. God's people across this nation and across the world, faithfulness to Christ over faithfulness to the world. I think this will move things. This will change things. Not politics, but faithfulness in the church. Holiness in the lives of the individual believers. As we live out our lives in our neighborhoods and our homes, our interactions with other people, our personal commitment to holiness before God, this, I think, will move things. This is how we get on board as God is moving behind the scenes. This is how we get on board with God's program. Faith and hope that we believe. And as Zechariah saw these strange things, you know, a flying scroll, he saw garments being washed. You know, we have faith and hope that, you know, God is moving and maybe we don't see it. But can we say, God, I don't see it right now in this physical realm, but by faith, I can know something's going on. And God, I want to get behind what you're doing. I want to be on your side. You know, in the famous verse, um, you guys probably recognize this. I'm going to read it. So Zechariah 4, 6, how do we do this? How do we exercise faith and hope. He says here, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel in his work rebuilding the temple. He says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And you know what? I don't think we're called to build a temple here in Yakima. You know, that was Zerubbabel's job to build, rebuild the temple. But are we doing a work for God here in this city? Yeah, I think so. Is it going to be force that's going to make it happen in power and strength? No. It's God working things out in our life. We have faith in what he's doing. We have hope, not in the sense of wishfulness, but in the sense of I'm willing to wait, God, to see what you're doing, and it'll happen. God has a purpose and a plan, and even if we don't see it clearly, he's doing it. And finally, I just want to say this, this service and humility. You know, we're so drawn toward the world system, and I've just noticed, like, even in a Christian's mindset, and me too, we're so drawn to competition, aren't we? And to comparison, and who's the biggest, who's the best? You know, who's the strongest? Who's the fastest? You know, the Lord says, you know, the Gentile nations, they exercise dominion over one another. They dominate one another. And we celebrate it, don't we? When our nation dominates another, don't we celebrate it? On the athletic field or other places of influence? When our team, our school, dominates or something else. Okay, this is good, right? But I just love it. God's kingdom is different. He says, you know what? If you want to be great, be a servant. And the world, I believe, will take notice that you are not dominating. You're serving. To serve the weaker, the lesser, to build up as opposed to tear down. 
this, I think, is how we live our lives in sync with what God is doing behind the scene. So if we get nothing else today, church, I hope we grab onto this. God is moving, and it's not in the way the kingdom of the world moves. His kingdom moves in a different way, and he's going to make it happen. So, thanks, guys. So this question comes up. As the people are coming back, they've been keeping a fast for these 70 years. And in chapter 7, they ask the question, should we continue our fast, commemorating the fall of, and really mourning over the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians? And Zechariah answers, or the Lord speaks through Zechariah, and he says, who told you to do this? And it really just got me thinking, is sorrow, is sorrow a good thing? Yeah, I think so. So this here, godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas godly, worldly grief, pardon me, produces death. You know, the people, they felt the loss of Jerusalem. They felt the loss of God's presence there. And the Lord says, you know what? It's not so much about fasting. Whether you eat or don't eat, he says, when you don't eat, you know you're doing that. I didn't tell you to. And he says, when you eat, do you eat for me? So do you fast for me? Do you eat for me? And the Lord says, no, no, do this. And he lists it out in two places. But the fruits of repentance, if they would have seen the picture, it's not about what you do or don't eat. But he says this, if you feel, if you feel the weight of what you had to endure. Do this. Render true judgment. Don't take advantage of people. Show kindness. And show mercy. Don't oppress. If you have in a position to lord something over somebody, as I just said, don't. Be a servant. Take the low place. Do not devise evil plans. Speak truth. This is what the Lord wants. I think we have a tendency to beat ourselves up a little bit. When you know you've fallen short, you've failed in some way, and you think, I'm just the worst. I'm just a terrible Christian. I'm not even a Christian at all anymore. Like, How could God ever love me? And I don't think that is really true repentance. Like, you should feel the weight of it. You should repent, turn around. That's what repentance is, is to turn around, to realize, I was doing this. Now I need to move the opposite direction. And just to start off with, return. Come back to your God. And these are the characteristics of who God is. These are the things that you ought to be doing as you repent. So finally, I just want to give you a glimpse of the future kingdom. Now, next week, I really am excited that I have two weeks to cover this. The next week is all about the coming of the messianic kingdom, the coming of the Messiah, both in humility but also in glory. 
There are passages next week that you will recognize, and I hope you get excited. But as I look at chapter 8 here, I just got so excited reading this. The sense of hope for what God has for his people in the future. I hope you just get a little bit excited. And as you look at the world around and just think, this is a mess. And you think what God has planned for the future, and you go, okay, Lord, please come now. I'm ready. So a few things I pulled out. First one is God's very presence. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Can you imagine those people sitting in the ruins of Jerusalem, sitting on the broken down rocks, their temple broken, partially the foundation completed, the rest just sitting there, and God saying, I've returned. And that's the whole point of the temple was the presence of God in their midst. And it's going to happen. I hope that makes us a little bit excited. And as we're here this morning, do we have a sense that God himself is here with us? I hope we do. And I hope that there's a little bit of an excitement in you as you contemplate someday face to face having the presence of God. I want to consider verses 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the street. This morning as we just considered our time of prayer, we feel the weight of this world, don't we? Don't we feel each of us aging a little bit? I mean, we do. We feel it. And it feels like I look at this, the idea that men and women, old men and women in the streets, living a life of community and boys and girls out playing. As I read this, um, I say all the time that we spent living in China, you know, the homes were small, so people would bring their plastic chairs down to the sidewalks at night, and the kids would just kind of play in the alleys. Parks were full. And just a sense of community and togetherness that I think we kind of miss in our American culture where we pull into our garage and close our door and don't talk. But the thought of people living to a ripe old age, children playing the grandparents being there. There's a joy to that, isn't there? Like, doesn't that make us a little bit happy? I hope so. This is what God has for us. And the lost being brought back home. Verses 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. The lost brought back. You know, people are gone from us for a long time, and they return. 
there's just great rejoicing. And as we consider the father with the prodigal as he comes back home, there's rejoicing. And anyone who has experienced someone you love and you haven't left on good terms, and they come back and there is rejoicing again, like, you're back home, and it's good to have you here. I think that's what this is going to be. You're back home. It's good to have you here. You're back in the family, and God himself is going to bring the wanderer back to Jerusalem. The land is going to produce. There shall be sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give its produce. The heavens shall give their dew. Last week, James was talking about the ground not producing because the people were not being faithful. In this day, the land is going to produce abundantly, and there will be plenty. And finally, these people, the Jews, they're going to be a blessing to the people around them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And in a day and over the course of history when the Jews have been in a maligned people, they've been a cursed in the eyes of the world people, there is going to be a day when God's people are going to be a blessing to the whole earth. And as we sit here today and as we look at the, around the world, we think, what a mess. Has anybody thought, what a mess in the last year? And you just scratch your head and just think, forget it. This is a mess. My challenge to you today the Lord called people in Zechariah's day, return to me. And I think in the same measure, not to return to the city of Jerusalem, but we still, we are called to return back to our God to be faithful as a church, faithful as individuals. In a day where there are small things and it seems like I am nobody and what I do does not matter very much. God takes note. And in the end, we can put our faith and our hope that God is going to pour out a blessing on this earth that we have never seen. And that's his purpose for us. So there is a whole world. And for some reason, Zechariah got the curtain pulled back. And he got to see God moving in ways that he says, I don't understand. And even if we don't, today, church, let's return. Let's be faithful. And so I'm going to close on that. Next week, we're going to take a look at the one who's going to make this happen. And it really is an exciting passage. So take some time next week. Look at the rest of the book, 9 to 14. And we'll be back next week. So, Father, we just thank you for just your goodness. That this these times in history, you would pull back the veil. You would let us see what things are happening in the spiritual realm. And that as we look around the world, and it just seems, seems to be a mess. It seems like the things that we do, they just don't matter. But God, you've called us to faithfulness. You've called us to return. 
even in a day when it seems like these are just small things, uh, just give us hearts to be faithful, and we just thank you for this hope that we have before us, a day when the, our will to be redeemed. And so we thank you for that. And so we just pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.